I did want to make just one sort of uh, amendment to our prayer time. Um, yesterday morning, Art Yoner actually did go home to be with the Lord. Um, and that is a happy thing. It is a happy thing um, that he, after years and years, a lifetime of faithful gospel service, is now in the presence and the fullness of joy. Um, that, is, that is something that, that we can um, indeed shed tears over and, and mourn, uh, but, but we should rejoice as well. Uh, we have hope, and, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, I think in many ways to, to remember and to praise God right now for the, the life of Art Yoner is, is a great way to, to, to move into what we're going to talk about, and that, that, that's gospel investments. Uh, essentially, that's what we're going to talk about for this, this morning. We're going to talk about 2012 and, and the new year, and, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you, in, in fact, beg you to invest in the gospel this year. Um, and and that, is, that is what Art and Evie did with their lives. Not just one year, year after year after year. They invested their life in the gospel. They made gospel investments. And right now, Art is reaping the rewards. He is seeing the returns of those investments and and we can praise God for that. Um, so I did want to uh, just clarify that. Um, as I said, uh, happy, happy New Year to you. Uh, hopefully your New Year celebration was more exciting than ours. We've, we've had some sick people in our house for the last few days. And literally last night, um, I set the alarm for 11.55 um, turned on the TV, we poured out some sparkling apple cider, and um, we watched the ball drop, and we turned off the TV and went to bed. Um, that was it. Uh, it yeah. Uh, it, so hopefully yours was more exciting. Um, judging by when some of you came in, I'm, I'm sure that it was. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I love New Year's. I, I, lo- I love this day, I, I love the celebrations typically going into it. Uh, I, I love New Year's Day, and I love resolutions. I, I really do. A lot, a lot of people don't, or a lot of people pretend like they don't, and they, they make the snarky joke, this year my resolution is not to ever make any resolutions again. Done, you know. Um, but, but I love resolutions, and this is the time of year uh, when, when people make resolutions. Uh, it's a time of year where, where we kind of get to wash off the old and, and, and in, in a sort of way come into the new. Um, and, and I love that. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about is resolutions. Uh, why? Why do people love resolutions so much? Why, why is it so ingrained in our culture? Uh, I, I, was, I was spending a lot of time this week actually looking at that, looking at some of the more popular resolutions, and then uh, really just trying to figure out why, uh, why we love resolutions, why we're so prone as a people to making resolutions. Uh, I don't usually interact, uh, but what, what do you think the, 
the most popular New Year's resolution is? Seems pretty easy, right? I'm going to diet, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to cut those pounds. Um, But all of the resolutions that we make, I I remember last year, yeah, last year, 2011, I resolved to read a book a week, um, which turned out to be ludicrous. Um, <laughs> I started off really strong, and I was, re- and I was gonna say, I, I put boundaries on it. Like, I can read some kids' books will count, because I read, I read the Chronicles of Narnia every year, and so we'll count that. Um, and I'll read that along with other books that may take several weeks, and that way we pound it out. And, and for about two and a half months, I was reading a book a week. I'm not even kidding. I was, I was flying, and then one day I just asked myself, why? Um, why are you even doing this? And like most Americans, I gave up on my resolution right then and there. And I think since then I've read about two and a half months worth of books um, this year, uh, but but we love resolutions, and, 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 and I think the reason we do, uh, there are multiple reasons. I'm only going to give four, but I think these are the four big ones, uh, and the first is that when we, when we make a resolution, we give ourselves mission. We give ourselves a mission, and some of you know this. Some of you might not even make New Year's resolutions. Um, th- earlier this year, and you can't see the results, which we'll talk about later. But earlier this year, I was prompted uh, by, by several people uh, to, not, not directly, but to download this app for my phone. It's, it's a Couch to 5K app, and, and it's over the course of several uh, weeks. And, and it was great because each week I could track and, and, and monitor this mission. I was on a mission to be able to run a 5K. We, we like missions. Uh, it gives us a sense of purpose. We, we have a desire for missions. If you, if you don't believe that, uh, just look at high school boys. What do you think high school boys' number one pastime is? Video games. In fact, in general, in fact, um, if you are the parent of, boy, or girlfriend of, or wife of a male between like 8 and 32, <laughs> you've probably at some point, and maybe older, I'm, I'm not trying to discriminate, you've probably at some point uh, had to deal with video games. And, and you've probably asked this question, how can they love this so much? And the reality is that guys love video games because most video games give you a mission. The, the best-selling video games are war, war-related video games in one way or another, whether you're fighting um, you know, enemies that exist in real life or aliens or if you're part of some secret society fighting other facts. It doesn't matter. You have an enemy and you're given missions and, and you have to succeed them. And you, have to, you have to complete them, fulfill them. Guys love mission, but the, the truth is we all, we, we, we've been created with this desire to go and do something. We, we like tasks. We don't like them to be chores. We, we like to determine what our own tasks are. But we like it. We like being given mission. And, and resolutions give us that. My mission this year is to lose 20 pounds. My mission this year is to to get a promotion, uh, to work towards reading 
however many books, whatever it may be. Uh, resolutions give us mission. Uh, they also allow us to experience results. I, mean, I think that's the second thing. We are a results-driven society. Uh, there's no way around it. Do you want me to buy your product? Where are the, where the numbers? Where are the results? Uh, we have very specific results that we're looking for. Uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know where you've been. I'm a sports fan, and I love football especially. Um, and you can ask a dozen people who the greatest quarterback of all time is. And one of the last guys who will come up on most of that dozen's list, because they'll say Joe Montana, they'll say John Elway. Uh, They might, I don't know why, but they might say Brett Favre. Uh, But very few people, well, he shouldn't even be in the conversation, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) A lot of people will overlook a guy named Dan Marino. And, And Dan Marino, in my opinion, is the greatest quarterback that ever lived, but he never won a Super Bowl, and so he's not in most people's conversation because all we care about is results. Who's the best basketball player right now? It's LeBron James. No titles, no results. People tend to minimize him. We look for results. We are results-driven. I will buy this product if I know their results. I will invest in this stock and in this company if you can show me that that there will probably, most likely, uh, greatest percent of chance be results. We like results. And so when you uh, do the couch to 5K like I did... uh, I did notice results. As, as you eat healthier, you notice results. You become more encouraged on your mission. We like results, and, and resolutions, smart ones, give us the op- opportunity for that. Uh, also, I think one of the, the top reasons people uh, tend toward resolutions is redemption. I think that's a big part of the reason why the New Year's resolution is lose weight, uh, because you spent the last two months doing exactly the opposite, right? I mean, the two biggest eating days of the year are within a month of each other. It's just not right. It really isn't. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and it shows, you know? Um, but, but we eat, and we, we hang out, and we gain weight, uh, I like to call it merriment. We increase in merriment. Um, but then we need redemption. We need to redeem that weight gain with weight loss. Uh, some people's resolution is to stop smoking or to quit drinking, especially with drinking. You, you, you make bad decisions, right? And you've made bad decisions. You want redemption. You get that through a resolution. This year I'm going to stop doing this. This year I'm going to quit this or I'm going to start doing that because we need redemption. But all of those things are driven, I think, by by something deeper. And I'm not going to spend too much time right now talking about it, but in a little bit we will. I mean, that's happiness. All, all, All of marketing, all of our society is built around this idea of happiness. We make resolutions not because we enjoy eating cardboard and running miles and miles every day, um, but because we, we know that if we're fitter, we'll have more energy, we'll be happier, 
right? A healthier you is a happier you. We invest our money the way we do. We, we work these jobs, not because everybody's job in here is fun, right? I, I know what some of you do. It's not fun. I wouldn't want to trade places with you ever, you know? Um, but we do it because we know that financial security or we believe that financial security um, will allow us the ability, even if it doesn't create it, it will allow us the ability to be happier. And we do things for the sake of happiness, including our resolutions. You know? That's what we're chasing. And today, this morning, I, I, I just I want to just say a couple things to you. The first thing is that the gospel fulfills all of those needs, all of those desires, better than anything else can. Better than anything else can. And that this year, your, your, your resolutions, they need to be gospel resolutions. We'll talk about why. We'll see how they fulfill all of those desires, all of those needs, uh, as we look at our text, we have to come to Scripture. Uh, this is our home. This is where we rest. This is where we sit. And, and so turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 14, uh, but we're going to be spending uh, the rest of our time this morning in verses 3 through 14, uh, but didn't want to cut off those first two verses, so. If you would, stand with me. Starting in verse 1 of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a faithful witness, a faithful testimony to who you are, to who we are to be in you, to what Christ has done on our behalf, and to the hope that we have in him. I pray now that your spirit would move in our hearts, move in our minds, in our midst, illuminating our hearts to the truths of your gospel. And that this year we would heed that word. And that as that happens, that Jesus Christ would be exalted and that you would receive glory in all the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to skim through, we're going to fly through this text and just find and see how the gospel, as Paul talks about it, uh, it best fulfills all the desires that we have, all the desires that, that draw us toward resolutions and toward this year. Uh, if you haven't noticed, um, uh, uh, the slides, the background, uh, it, it, it's the same that we've been using for this series that we've been in for quite some time now called the 29th chapter. And what we've been looking at is essentially what God is doing. What is God doing? What is the mission of God on this earth, here and now? Uh, we've, we've talked about it in a lot of different terms. We've talked about the greater storyline of the gospel, redemptive history, uh, w- the mission of God. We've been looking at that, and we've been looking ha- at how we as a church, uh, both corporately and as individual members of the body of Christ, how we are called to be a part of that mission. The mission that God has given to us. And so I feel like this fits perfectly in with that. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm using it. That, that this is a part of that Acts, that 29th chapter, uh, series. Next week, we're gonna move away for just one week and then we'll be back in the series, uh, the week after that. Next week, Brad will be talking about the gospel. He'll be looking in Isaiah at how we see the gospel. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited for that. And then we will jump right back into the 29th chapter. But here we are talking about the mission of God. Uh, and our mission, and that's important because if, if you remember, we're drawn to resolutions because we have a desire for mission. Uh, and in, in this opening uh, paragraph or two in this letter to the, the church in Colossae, Paul tells us very clearly that in the gospel, we have mission. Uh, we are placed on a mission. And he says, if, if you look in verse 10, after all of these reasons that Paul has thanked uh, God for the church in Colossae, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's our mission. Walk in a manner pleasing, worthy, uh, uh, and pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in knowledge. Another way to say this is, is to go, bear fruit, make disciples, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Right? And so in that, we see this walking in a manner, observing the things that Christ has taught us, that God has taught us in his word. Uh, we, we are walking in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus. Uh, we are walking in a manner pleasing to him. We are bearing fruit. We are making disciples. We are being disciples. And we're increasing in the knowledge of God. That's being a disciple. That's making disciples. As we make disciples, we increase in the knowledge of God. And what Paul is saying is, you're on a mission. You have a mission. And this mission is bigger than any other mission that you could be on. I'm not telling you to not to make resolutions like, I'm going to lose weight. By all means, be a good faithful steward of the body and the life that God has given you. We are called to, to, to rely on Christ, to worship Christ and not food and entertainment and some of the factors that lead to uh, the need to lose weight. So by all means, you are glorifying God when you take care of your body. So if that's a resolution of yours, do it. I'm not saying don't do that, but that resolution in comparison to the mission, that mission to lose weight in comparison to the mission of God, to the mission that has been given to the church, and and just to kind of distinguish between the two for a moment, the mission of God is quite clear. Jesus says it in Revelation. He says, behold, I am making all things new. That's God's mission. It's redemption. We're going to talk about that again in in, in just a little bit. But that's God's mission. Jesus is making all things new. And and I would would encourage you to listen to very carefully the way that he phrases it. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make all new things. He says, I'm making all things new. And so the mission of God in Jesus Christ is redemption for all who will believe and for this earth. God is renewing this earth. He's making it new. But that's not our mission. Our mission is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus, to bear much fruit, to bring glory to him, Our mission is to make disciples. As we do that, God uses that to change the world. But we need to be very clear as believers. Our mission is not to change the world. Our mission is not to build God's kingdom. That's his mission. But as we do what God has called us to do, we are agents of his kingdom being built. We are agents of change in the world. So don't bear that weight on yourself this year. Instead, bear the weight of the gospel. That's our mission, though. And that mission is huge. It's much bigger than any personal resolution, any personal mission we give ourselves. It it is all-encompassing, this mission that God is on and that he's given to us. So join in that mission. The second thing that we see in here, we see results. 
And it's quite amazing the results that Paul tells us about. Uh, He says in verse 6, and he's speaking of the gospel. He says, this gospel, this word of truth, which has come to you, um, that it's bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, just as it is among you, and just as it has been among you since the day you received it. The gospel is, is yielding results around the entire world and right here. I want you to be amazed at the breadth of the gospel and amazed at the depth of the gospel. This year, the gospel is advancing in breadth, in width, around the whole world. And right here, in our hearts and in our lives and in this church, we are going deeper into the gospel than we've ever been. We are seeing the results of the gospel in ways that we haven't seen. And we will continue to see that. Every year that I live, I'm amazed at how the gospel is deeper and deeper. The further I plumb, the further it goes. That's results. I want you to think about this. The reality is that it's harder for us to understand this because even the oldest person in this room, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but even the oldest person in this room, when they were born, the gospel was at least present on every continent. But when Paul is writing this, he's writing to people who in their lifetime have seen the gospel go from 12 men to hundreds of thousands of people, 12 men in one city to the entire known world. When I went to India this summer, uh, I was in South India, and, and we talked to some of the people there. And there are Christians in India who link their heritage back to Thomas. Now, historically, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to vouch for the accuracy of that. I don't, I don't know. Some Baptists like to link their heritage back to John the Baptist, and so that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's so. Um, but but they link it back to Thomas. And so you have to realize that this gospel that that was first proclaimed in Jerusalem is now over the entire world. They're seeing results. I don't even know the math. It's like 100,000 times yield. If someone came to you and said, I have an investment and it's going to grow 100,000%, wouldn't you do it? We're like, all right, here's 10 bucks. Call me in a year. You know, like. And the reality is that even since I was born, I mean, there are 3 billion people on the earth who uh, profess in one way or another and, and don't want to get into the cultural versus reality of, of, of something, but who confess that. That's huge. That's huge. There are results, and there are results in our lives. There are results here. We've seen them. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I'm going to do this. Um, 
wait till the very end to, to respond. But if you were converted this year, baptized this year, or visited slash joined Grace Community Church this year for the first time, hopefully with those first two, um, it's the first time, right? Um, but just raise your hand. Just raise your hand for me. You got to raise it high. If you were baptized or joined in, I mean, these are gospel results. And we can see more of them. Like, here's the idea. is we, uh, we want to invest our lives in things that yield results. We're a results-driven culture. And I'm telling you, if you make gospel investments and you invest in the gospel, you will see results in your lives and in the lives of people around you. Invest in the gospel this year. The third thing we see is, is redemption, and it's evident. I mean, this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the gospel, and the gospel is that our great and glorious God looked down on hopelessly sinful people and didn't just sit there. He responded. He sent his only son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't because of our sin and our selfishness, to die the death that we couldn't on the cross, so that all who believe in him might be saved now and forevermore. It's the gospel. Redemption. God did what we couldn't so that we could have what we did not deserve. And it's all through the text. I mean, specifically, yeah, it's in verse 13 and 14. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But all of this is talking about the redeeming work of God. All of it. That we increase in knowledge and wisdom. We walk in a worthy manner. These are things we did not do. We bear fruit. We, we have power in in the spirit, we have endurance and patience and joy and thankfulness. All of these things are results of redemption. And look, we, we, we've seen those results. We, 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 saw, we saw the hands. We saw the people. Um, but there are some of you in here who have not trusted in Jesus. You've come to church. You've given. You've done what, you've, what you're supposed to do. But you have not yet believed and thrown your life into Jesus. Right now, this year, this moment even, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He's good. There's redemption. You think you've done things that cannot be forgiven. You're wrong. I promise you, you're wrong. Christ is enough. Christ can bear the weight of all of your sin. And indeed, he has on the cross. Trust him. In the gospel, we have redemption. And that redemption feels a lot better than 20 pounds lost. And in the end, as art is experiencing right now, 
It's of much more value than those books that you read. Whatever else it is that you resolve to do. There's redemption. And finally, there's joy. And I know in the beginning I said we do it for happiness. Uh, but what Paul talks about is joy. And I, and I want to spend just a little bit of time remarking on this. And then we'll pretty much be done. Um, in this country, it is ingrained in our DNA to pursue and desire and live for happiness. It is, right? Founding documents. We believe that God has given us three inalienable rights, and as a country, we're going to defend those rights. You have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But even the founding fathers, in the way they worded it, they recognized some, some things, right? Life you have. Liberty is yours. We're going to fight for that. If somebody takes your life, we're going to take theirs, or we're going to punish them in a manner accordingly. If somebody impedes upon your liberty, it becomes our duty to defend your liberty. Well, I don't want to talk about the reaches of that. That's fine, whatever. You can discuss that on your own, not from here. Um, but you're guaranteed life, you're guaranteed liberty, happiness, that's yours to pursue. Good luck. But here's the thing is, here we are, a couple hundred years later, and we live that. There is no other culture in the world right now that pursues happiness as thoroughly and as expensively and as religiously as we do. There's no other time in the history of our nation that we've spent more on entertainment than, than that we have pursued happiness. And, and by and large, as a nation, we're pretty miserable. And here's why. I've said this to the youth, and it bears repeating to them. And, and for you. Happiness is a symptom. At best, it's a symptom, right? Our family's been sick. You have a fever, that's not the problem usually, or ever, right? You have a fever, it's because you have the flu. You get the flu, the fever comes. The flu goes away, the fever's gone. Simple. Happiness is a symptom. You know, and we see it all the time. What, what commercials say is, look, you can trigger that symptom with certain things, right? The woman goes outside, the music's playing, there's a bow on her new Lexus. Oh, happiness is triggered, right? She drives it out the car, she gets T-boned, happiness is gone. It's a symptom. Right? Money will make you happy. Oh, no, money will trigger the happiness symptom until the money's gone or until you realize that it's just money. It's a symptom. And only a fool spends their entire life pursuing something that they have no control over whatsoever and that they cannot keep. Don't waste your lives pursuing happiness. Don't. It's here and then it's gone. But I want you to hear what Paul says about joy. See, the gospel gives us joy. And, and he says in verse 11, uh, 
may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Question, when do we need endurance and patience? It's not when things are great. Oh gosh, I got this raise. Lord, help me endure that. You know, nobody says these things, right? Whoo, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Lord, help me endure that. Yeah, that hasn't happened in a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chad would be saying, Lord, help me endure this. Uh, <laughs> but that's just it, though. You don't need endurance and patience for the good times. In fact, you're praying, Lord, let this last forever. Right? When do you need endurance and patience? When things are bad. When Rex Grossman is your quarterback. Sorry, it's, he's just right there. I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, you need endurance when, when there's illness. That's when you need endurance and patience. When, 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 you're, in, when you're suffering, you need endurance and you need patience. And what Paul is saying is <laughs> that in those times, you have joy. Now I need you to understand logically what that means. Because in those times, that's when happiness, it fades. And, and really quickly, Christians, you don't have to be happy all the time. Alright? Like, you go into Christian bookstores, and usually it's the ones that are best-selling. There's a guy just, ah, just happy as can be. And, and we don't have to... In fact, I would say it's probably wrong to be happy all the time. Uh, if somebody is, is always happy and always smiling, then that, that means one of three things. Well, it means one thing. Something's wrong with them. <laughs> Seriously, though, because either they are perpetually ignorant to the suffering and the hurt that exists in the world, or they are lying, or they take joy and happiness and they derive pleasure, not joy, they derive pleasure and happiness from the hurt and suffering of this world. It's the only way. And either way, that, something's wrong. Christ experienced much sorrow. Paul experienced, Paul was not happy when he was being stoned. When he was imprisoned. Like this was, oh, yeah, here we go, prison. Oh, they're throwing rocks at me. <laughs> you know, that wasn't it. He was sad. He, he was hurting, but he was filled with joy. And that's what Paul is saying. You can have joy in those times. You don't have to be happy but you will have joy. And logically, if you have joy in the hard times, you also will have joy in the good times. So what Paul is saying here is that in the gospel, there's joy, fullness of joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And so this year, if you make gospel investments, if you Give your life to the gospel instead of spending your life pursuing happiness. If you spend it on the gospel, things will come that want to beat you down. And they may just for a while, but you will have joy. You'll have joy. Uh, 
one of the most amazing quotes by a guy that everybody talked about. I was kind of like, yeah, he's all right. He's, he's, he's not here anymore. Charles Spurgeon. Um, but the more I read of Spurgeon, the more I just, I, 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 it's hard for me to fathom um, anybody being this amazing. Um, by far my favorite preacher now. Uh, but he wrote this on suffering and joy and consolation. This is a matter of pure experience, he says. Oh, it is a mystery that when the black clouds gather most, the light within us is always the brightest. When the night lowers and the tempest is coming on, the heavenly captain is always closest to his crew. It is a blessed thing when we are most cast down. Then it is that we are most lifted up by the joy of Christ. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Are you suffering? You can have joy in it. You can have joy. And that is eternal. And so, we, we have to realize, you have to realize, the gospel fulfills every desire perfectly this year along with whatever other resolutions you make above whatever other resolutions you make as a church let us be gospel driven let us make gospel resolutions gospel investments so that we see those returns so that we are filled with joy even in the midst of suffering so that we grow in wisdom so that the gospel here so that we grow in breath so that God brings us more people who have not believed yet in Jesus and who turn to Jesus and so that we grow in depth individually and as a body may that happen this year be a part of that happening. I'm just going to say a couple more things right here. It's really just advice. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how else to say it than that. Uh, suggestions that actually turn out to be mandates in Scripture. Um, so maybe not suggestions at all. But th- these are gospel investments that you can make this year. The first one, um, if you are not yet a member of grace, and, and we really talked about the first one previously, trust in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus. But if you've been here for a while and you know that this is the church that God has called you to be on mission with, join. This year. We've got Grace Connection classes that you can go to. We'll have opportunities for you to join. When I say join, look, what what we're really saying is declare publicly that you are on mission with us. Declare publicly that you are submitting to the leadership, the direction, the oversight, the discipline of the elders and of this church and that you are linking arms with us as we walk together faithfully join the church uh, and and then or maybe not in this order but also join a home group if you're not in a home group anybody who's in a home group for, I, I would i would i would wager that anybody in a home group would tell you 
some of the many, many joys and blessings uh, that, that home groups are. We, we started one just a few months ago, and it has been a deep blessing um, for us to be a part of that, to see the gospel in new ways. You cannot do these things alone. You need community. Those communi- that community is found primarily in home groups. Um, if you're not doing this, Decide right now to serve in a ministry. God has uniquely gifted you in such a way that that we need you to serve. And there are several ministries that you could serve in. David talked about the infant toddler ministry. There's a missions board that we need people serving on. There's the youth ministry, the deaconate. There are several ministries ways, greeting. I I can't even list them all. There are so many that you can use the skills and the talents, the gifts that God has given you to serve with us this year. Uh, Give faithfully. Give above and beyond what you gave last year. Might not make you happy all the time, uh, but make that gospel investment uh, with your, your, your time with your talents, with your treasure. Invest in the gospel. Pray for one another. David said, take the bulletins home. There's announcements, but there are prayer requests. Resolve to pray at least weekly, if not daily, for, for your church and for the members of your church. And commit to gospel interactions with your neighbors and your coworkers. And that could be anything. Praying for them. Inviting them to dinner, spending time with them, as well as obviously making attempts to share the goodness of Christ with them, calling them to faith in Him. Be on a mission this year for the gospel. Pray with me. God, you are good. We are so thankful that, that we are entering this new year and that we can think of new ways to be involved in, uh, to be fulfilling the mission that you've given to us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to grow in knowledge and obedience, to bring glory to you, and to bring hope and joy to the world through the gospel. We pray that this year we would grow in breadth and depth. For your sake, for your fame, in Jesus' name, amen.